0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I'll share a couple things with you. Very quickly, and I begin to ask the Lord about the state of our church. So instead of a state of the union address, this is a state of the church address. And I only ask this question because oftentimes I'll be with the Lord, and it's like, well, Lord, what do you want to tell me? And and He'll He'll often speak to me and say, ask me this question. So I'll say, okay, I'll ask you the question, and then He'll give me the answer. That's just what we do sometimes. And I said, well, what is the state of our church right now? What do? How do you see it? And I want to tell you something, and I started to mention this earlier, but I'm going to go into it a little bit more, that we we have worked, and, and several of you with me, we have worked for nine and a half years we have been here. And we had a time three years ago where we changed the name of the church. God gave dreams and visions and uh, and spoke through the word and different prophecies and stuff that it was time to change the name of the church because he was shifting something that he wanted to set in order for a long long period of time. You know, when you change the name of the church to, uh, to overcomers, you, I didn't really think about it or I might have argued a little bit, that, but that meant that we had some things to overcome. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Now looking at it, and still looking forward, it's like, oh, Jesus, we got some things to overcome because he calls you by your divine nature. By what he's put in you, and it's in our DNA to overcome. Well, if, if it's in our DNA to overcome, that means we're going to have some things to overcome. But you know what? The grace of God is sufficient for every single thing that we need to overcome in our life. And so anyways, I just begin to ask the Lord, like, Lord, what's the state of the church? And for nine and a half years, I can tell you after nine and a half years of, and Liz, Liz knows, and I know Ron and Wendy know this, we have toiled in prayer, in preaching, in teaching, in conversation, in relationship, to come to a place to where there was no disunity. And I can effectively tell you that after nine and a half years, I'm not saying we don't have any problems and everything's perfect, but I can tell you after nine and a half years, I don't have people looking to destroy me. There are some that still want to destroy me, some from without. I don't think there's any from within, but there's nobody in any place of influence in this church that has anything but the church and God's vision and God's heart at at the forefront of their life. After nine and a half years, you know what message I've preached? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you something here. I'm going to give you the state of the church more accurately from scripture, this will depict it a little bit better. For, four, for nine and a half years, if there's been one message that I've preached alongside the gospel, because the gospel is where it's all at. I mean, the gospel, it's it. But Ephesians chapter four, I have preached this and preached it. And every time I would come back and read it, it was like, I knew what had to happen. And the only thing I could do is preach and teach it and love people, and help people to understand it. But here's, let me tell you this. Here's what's so exciting about being at a place to where we have unity. And let me explain unity very quickly. It doesn't mean we all agree on everything. There's no way that all of you agree with me on everything. If you did, then you're not thinking for yourself. And that truly would be cultish. (sighs) People call us a cult. I'm like, you have no idea. I teach people to think for themselves. A cult leader doesn't do that. Insane. I literally, I wake up every day go, thank you, Jesus, but then I'm still dumbfounded at some of the things. Uh, anyways, unity is something you come into because you value covenant. You value what you have with people. You don't emphasize what you don't have. And there's an emphasis on the unity that we have in the spirit, and we have moved to a place to where I can say for all of the people that are in leadership and so many of you that serve on serve teams, by the way, thank you for all the ones watching online. Some of you might come here but can't be here, but some of you just can't be here geographically. Thank you for sowing and giving into this church and you have a heart for what God is doing here. We have people From different states, several different states that can't geographically be here, but see the hand of God on this ministry, and they give, they tithe, they do all. It's it's just amazing to see what God's doing. But people that are really truly unified according to scriptural unification, it's never it's never about agreeing on anything, on everything. Let me say it that way: on everything. And Amos says, "How can any two walk together unless they be agreed?" And I didn't understand that for a long time. I was like, well, you know, I don't really agree with your, you know, interpretation of that particular scripture verse. How can we? It's not about that. We're always going to find things where we don't agree on. That's life. That's living and doing life with other human beings. But when it's saying that how can any two walk together unless they be agreed, it's talking about covenant. You know what covenant is? It's the death of two wills, and it's the coming together in oneness in the revival of a brand new will. The covenant is when you are more concerned about the greater than you are about the individual needs. Liz and I are in a covenant relationship with each other and we both are individuals within that covenant. But when we got married, we didn't know this for a long time, but when we got married, essentially we said, it's no more just Kent and it's no more just Liz, but now it's Kent and Liz together. And our individual needs are secondary to the overall need of the covenant. And when you are in covenant relationship with people and there is a problem and you find people that are unwilling to sacrifice their thoughts, their emotions, their own personal will, their own ideals, their own agenda, their own gifting, their own thoughts, they're unwilling to sacrifice that for the sake of unity, that person is not in covenant with you. And you know what I found is that God, there was, and man, let me tell you something, I'm just being blunt with you. I'm a blunt person. I say it like it is. You want to know how I am in private? Just like this. It has been agonizing to watch people that you love come in and be with you, but then when it comes down to it, they can't just do the ultimate thing of lay down themselves completely for the sake of the entire good. But I have found a group of people, and God has found a group of people that have been willing to say, I'm a covenant person. Even if you don't understand that, let me tell you something. There's another layer or a level. I I combine those two together. There's another layer level of people here that have been willing to say, not my will, but the greater good of what God is doing in this church. That's what needs to be done. It's not about individual gifts. It's not about individual anointing. It's not. It's not about that. And anybody who loves unity would go, yes. And anybody who really wants to promote their gift will be like, well, actually, I've got something really great to offer. Yep. You better change your heart or God's going to sift you out. I'm sorry for anybody that's new here today. You're like, this is kind of, you know, when you when you work and labor for years and years and years and years and years i spent on the old carpet and i spent on this carpet on my face saying god can't we just love each other can't we just lay down our own our own ambitions and our own thoughts and our own desires and our own pride to just come together under the name of jesus and worship you and love you and move to can't we just do that and finally all of a sudden we are there we're there it's there hallelujah Listen to this verse. It says, therefore, and this is what I preached for so many years. And finally, I'm like, God. And I'm not saying we won't have any other problems, but I've learned something a lot. This could have come quicker if I had learned something. See, I don't take people that come in anymore that have giftings. And if you want to look at ministry like this, I don't come in, and there's a, there's, I don't really, I'm not big on hierarchy models, but I do understand that there's a top and things flow from the top down. I don't take people that have gifting anymore and put them here. People have to become sons and daughters of the house and be brought up in the house. Otherwise, what happens is you get different ideals, different hearts, different attitudes, different whatever, the good, bad, and the, and whatever in between, and that begins to flow down and affects all of the people. My heart, my and Liz is my witness, my heart is to raise people up and see people go way beyond me. But you, people, before they can be raised up, they have to become a son or a daughter of the house. This is why... I don't, my, really what I want, if anyone were to come to me and say, what do you really want? What can I do for you? I want you to jump in, and I just want you to serve. Yeah, but I, I can prophesy, so what? You coming to a place where you just jump in and serve reveals to God, and it reveals to the leadership that it's not all about you. Then you can capture the culture of what God's doing here, and instead of being a burden, you become an asset. Well, I'm not sure that I really want to just jump in and do that. Will? Listen, I, I love spectators. People can sit and spectate all they want to, but they're not. You're not going to grow unless you jump in and really become a part. You know how my kids grow? Partly, I make them work. It's good. Well, you're not my father. Or you can't make me work. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> don't destroy the analogy because you don't think I'm your father, all right? It's no problem. But I am a father in this house. I am the father in this house. Not above Father God. Don't misunderstand me. But I make my kids work because it's good for them. And you know what? They, they've gravitated and, and they understand the culture of our home. And they're able to help bring uh, nutrients and things to our home. And, you know, if you just take it like this... If you had, and I've probably used this analogy before, but let me just say this. If you had, if something happened to me, in my, and so in my own personal home, something happened to me, and there needed to be a man step up and lead my household, and we had Kingston over here, and Abraham was just up here, Abraham's Ron's son, who do you think would be better to lead my house? Would it be Kingston or would it be Abraham? It'd be Kingston. Why? He's the son of the house. Does that mean that Abraham's no good and he can't do anything? Or No. It'd be the reverse roles if something happened to Ron. Kingston wouldn't be the best one to lead that home. It would be Abraham. He's the son of the house. So there's something about coming in and just saying, here I am. I just want to serve. And see, you know, sometimes people have a hard time hearing this like, well, pastors are just being so controlling. And they want people to just come in and work, 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 work. I mean, I've heard that stuff my whole life. And yeah, there's some pastors that are controlling and they just want people to work, 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 work. There's some that are like that. This one's not one of them. I will love you whether you lift a finger or not, but I will never promote anybody ever again for the rest of my ministry if they're not willing to be a son or a daughter of the house and come in and say, here I am. What can I do to help be a benefit to what's going on around here? Because when people come in, all the glitters is not gold and they've got like this gift and that gift and they've got this flashy thing and they, they can do this and they can sing and, and I love all of that and I want to take those gifts and I want to I nurture them and allow the Holy Ghost to prune them and, and, and put things in them or whatever, but I'm not going to put people in a position of authority until they've shown that they really have a heart for what God is doing here and can be raised up to be a benefit and a blessing. Is that does that make, is sit okay with everybody? I actually wish I could minister this in another church. It's, ooh, I can't wait till the next time I get to go out somewhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless that pastor with this message. I am. Because this is what every pastor wants their people to hear, but they have a hard time saying it because they're afraid that the people are gonna get offended. Well, I'm not really afraid if you're gonna get offended. If you're gonna get offended, you're gonna get offended about this or something else, and so I might as well just say it right now. <laughs> You won't. The people that grow the least are the ones that do the least, and people often they're like, "I'm just resting in Jesus. I just really sense that there's a time of rest coming up on me. I've never had anyone say that there's a season of work. I really feel like the Lord's calling me into a season of work. Never. Don't get don't get confused resting in Jesus and not working. They're two different things. I I have learned that you can be working. Your tail off and be totally at rest, totally at peace and joy in Jesus. Or you can be a total couch potato and be in total turmoil on the inside. We're supposed to, and listen, you know, ministry requires sacrifice. Family requires sacrifice. You understand that? requires sacrifice. This is a family. It requires sacrifice, but that doesn't mean you have to destroy your whole life, or doesn't mean you have to show up every time the doors are open and always be doing everything. There's a balance to things. There's a balance to things. But if you find something that's beneficial that's delivering goods, jump in and be a part of. This church has got the goods. It's delivering the goods. Great things are happening. I'm telling you, great things are happening, and I don't even have to just say, "Oh, I tell you." Like, trust me, it is. You can see it. You can see what God's doing. Jump in and be a part. And you know what? You know what you will find is that when you're able to just jump in and be a part, you will grow more than you have ever grown in your life. You will grow by serving more than you've ever grown in your life. And oftentimes, people want the ear of the. The pastor, the head leader, or whatever. And I and I understand that because you have amazing things in you that I probably need to hear. But I've just learned I don't give my ear to people that are not invested into what God is doing here. If I did, I'd be all over the place. And I used to be like that. Man, I hope this this is coming across in love, because it means to be coming across in love. I mean it. But I'm a person of order. I want freedom, creativity. I've even got plans. We've got so many creative people in here that I don't even understand that, but I appreciate it. You know, I'm not a creative person naturally, but the Creator lives on the inside of me, so I am a creative person in Jesus' name by faith. But just naturally, I'm not wired that way, but a lot of people are, and I want that to come forward, and, you know, I want to see all those kind of things. So I've got great plans and and with things of that nature or whatever and all kinds of other things, but there has to be order when it comes to God created the, the whole world and he created, right? Super creative. He's the most creative person that's ever lived. God's a super creator, but he did it within seven days and he did things in a particular order and in a particular way. And for years. And I've gotten way off track, and I'm trying to come back around. Not really. I said a lot of stuff I've just been in my heart to say. But for years, I've been been working to set divine order in the church. At first, I didn't know what it was, and then I realized what it was. If there is, it says this in James, I believe it's chapter 4. It says that where there's envying and self-seeking, there is confusion in every evil work. I'm thankful I didn't write that. (laughs) James did, and it's part of the Bible. Where there's envying or self-seeking, some translations put, there is confusion in every evil work. So it's like when you put yourself in my position, it's like how do you eliminate all the self-seeking and all the envying and striving and all that kind of stuff? You have to set things in divine order, and they begin to raise up people like that. And it's almost like we're not at ground zero, but it's almost like according to the word, we're at ground zero. We've come to this place, and I've been meaning to read this for 30 minutes now, and I haven't done it, so let me read this. We've come to this place where we're actually in unity, and we're endeavoring to keep the unity. Because I used to quote, I already know, because I know in the Spirit. I see things, I know things in the Spirit. I'm going to read this, and this will be the first time ever that I've read this in nine and a half years that I won't have people angry at me. listen, I'm bearing my soul to you. I've read this because I've known truth needed to go forward and I've had people angry at me. Many times they expressed it, sometimes they expressed it, but oftentimes I could feel it and sometimes I could even look in their face was red. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And it's like, oh yes, I'm the, I'm the greatest you know, musician that ever. I'm, I'm just, I'm the greatest apostle. No, listen, look what he says. What are you called to? with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You know why you got to bear with people? You know what it means to bear? It means to put up with them. You know what? I got to put up with you. And you got to put up with me. But that's what covenant people do. We bear with one another in love. We believe the best, best. We hope the best. We long for the best in those people. But we just put up with them sometimes endeavoring, and this is what the Lord said, Kent, you have to endeavor. And I've done it not perfect, but to the best of my ability, endeavoring to keep, to keep. Everybody say keep. Keep. To keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How can you keep something you don't have? The reality is, is that the unity that we have, all believers that have called on the name of the Lord Jesus already have a unity together that most are unaware of. So it's not about going and getting unity. It's about keeping unity. But you can't keep something you haven't first recognized. That's why the next verses say, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And it goes on from there. I wish I had time to get into all the rest of Ephesians chapter four. It's so amazing. But there is a unity that we have worked and we have endeavored to keep, to just flat out put up with one another. Why? Because we value covenant and what comes from covenant greater than we do our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances, or anything else in life. Real true covenant involves sacrifice. No covenant was ever made in the Bible without there being a sacrifice. You know what causes you to have I'll just use Liz and I example to have a great marriage, it's because we constantly sacrifice our own will, our own desire, our own wants, our own selfish ideals for the sake of the other person and for the sake of the covenant. I am so, this is both kind of heavy handed but also uplifting at the same time. I'm giving you something that's really meaty but at the same time, I'm so encouraged. I'm so blessed and thankful for you guys. So blessed. So thankful. And when you have... When you create a culture, what we've done here, it's not by accident. You either have culture by design or by default. I learned that several years ago, and I said, I'm tired of having culture by default. I want to have one by design. I want to have one that's full of love, full of faith, full of unity, where we value other people. We value the, the cause of why we come together. We value that greater than we do anything else. You know that my gift is not the most important thing here. My teaching, preaching pastoral gift is not the most important thing here you know what is the most important thing jesus and the unity that we have in him that's the most important thing together as us us as a body i think that's why a lot of churches often fail if something happens to the pastor he dies or god forbid gets off into sin or does something goofy and the church falls apart it's because there wasn't really any unity unity there amongst the people it was all focused on his gifting i don't want it to be all focused on me wanted to be focused on Jesus under my, my leadership, put all of our focus on Jesus. But every single great move of God that you will ever find, specifically the ones listed in the Bible, were always and only there because of the unity that was first there. Jesus told them to go wait in Jerusalem. And for, I think it was 120 days. Am I wrong about that? I forget. However it knows, 120 people, however many days, 50 days or something like that. 50 days. Yeah, yeah. And so for 50 days, they went and it says, and when they were all in one accord, do you think that they agreed on everything? Heck to the no. There's no way they agreed on anything, on everything. But they were in one accord. What did that mean? They valued what they were there for more than they did their individual wants and needs. God, that's so awesome. And if you go on down and look at this in Ephesians chapter four and look at verse 13. Man, I wish I had time to talk about the fivefold ministry. I hate clocks. There'll be no clocks in heaven. I guarantee it. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You go back and you look in verse 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Verse 13 says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. When the unity of the Spirit is kept... And then people come under proper, right, non-controlling, Jesus-inspired leadership, the fivefold ministry, that's when the unity of the spirit we get, excuse me, the unity of the faith we come into. You know what's going to come? We're right on the brink of it. What's going to come is there's going to be a greater coming together underneath of what the Lord is speaking and doing in this house, and we will be a force to be contended with that no demon, no whatever in hell can ever come against what God's doing here. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And what happens is that when we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and I think that will happen all the way until the time that we're all in eternity. So it's a growing thing, but we're moving that direction that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunningness, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When people stay and they keep the unity of the spirit, proper leadership is set in place, the unity of the faith comes, then what happens is that the church, the body grows, gets strong, becomes who it's supposed to be, develops in their giftings and all of that kind of stuff to the fullness of what that particular local body, you could say the universal church, but definitely that local body is called to be in everything that God wants it to be. Folks, we are on our way there. I bless you and honor you for your unity, your love, I could stand before the Lord right now and he knows it all anyways, obviously, but I could stand before him and say, Father, that church that you called me to pastor, my church, those are, those are my people. I'm only stewarding, they're your people. But those people that you called me to, they've done a most excellent job. They have done a most excellent, excellent job of sticking with it, staying in the fire and letting your spirit do the work inside of them so that we could press on to the higher mark, the higher calling of the thing that you called us to. amen. It's awesome. It's awesome to be part of something bigger than just you. When you're wrapped up all in yourself, you, how does it go? You make a small package. But man, when you're wrapped up in Jesus and wrapped up in his love and the people that are around you that God's called you to be with, covenant people don't cut and run. And Unfortunately, we live in a society where divorce rate is extremely high, and I'm not condemning anybody who's been divorced or part of a divorced family. Probably everybody in here has been affected by divorce. I guarantee you, everybody on some level has been affected by divorce in here. No condemnation, but it's the world that we live in, and it speaks that kind of in and out, back and forth, speaks wrong about what God really says about covenant people. That is, we come in and see there's so much that I wanted to say that I didn't have time to say. You know what? Forget it. I got nine minutes. If we don't have an altar call, I'm going to share what God told me to share. Let me give you a couple more verses. Everybody say, I can take eight more minutes now. I just wasted 30 seconds. (laughs) I can take eight more minutes. Let me show you this in Isaiah chapter 61. Can we pull this up on there? Isaiah chapter 61. Hallelujah. Let me show you this. Isaiah chapter chapter 61 and verse 3. If we can pull this up on the screen, I want everybody to see this. Isaiah 61 and 3 in the New King James Version. Let me show you this. And then we're going to go to Psalm 92 13. So get, get that one ready. But Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3. Is it going to work? It may not work. Someone yell at me if it gets up there. Hey, technology's taking my time away, so I get extra time. felt a little bit of a groan there. You know what? You just leave at noon if you got to leave, okay? Isaiah 61 and 3. Let me show you this. I have, I don't even think that's the right verse. Oh, I'm in 63. Okay, here we go. Yes, Zion, to give them, does this start with Zion really? To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you know that trees don't flourish unless they are planted? Profound, I know, but true. Could you imagine if you had a tree or a flower or any kind of plant that you wanted to see grow? If you planted it and then you picked it up two days later and thought, yeah, you know what? Actually, I don't want it over here. I want to put it over here. And then, like, you know, a week later, you're like, yeah, you know what? Actually, it doesn't fit very well. I'm going to move it to the back of the house. I think it would be, what would happen? That thing would die, man. It would die. Things are made to take root have root, be planted. And I'm not saying that there aren't seasons and times when God will do different things in our lives. I get that. I understand that. But we should have a mentality to plant. Why? Because we're supposed to be like a tree. And when we're planted, it causes flourishing. Let me show you this in Psalm 92 and verse 13. We read it in the Passion. I want to read it in the New King James. Psalm 92 and verse 13. Let me know when it is up there. I'm going to find it. Whoever gets to it first. Okay, look at this. It says, those who are planted. Everybody say planted. And the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And you say, well, our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, I'm planted there. Listen, when you get off by all by yourself, you get weird. I hear some of the things that people come up with, and it's like, where'd you come up with that? Me and Jesus have been spending time together. Okay, well, I get that. Me and Jesus spend time together too, but I also spend time with saints. I also spend time listening to teaching and to preaching and to hear people prophesy and all that kind of stuff. The church is meant to be together. No one has everything all by themselves. Nobody does. This is part of the reason I have other ministers come in is because they have things to inject into our church that I do not possess. We need each other, but we need to be planted somewhere. We need to be planted where God calls us. This is really important. And I'm not saying this because there's some of you that might be like, you know, you you're you're here and then you can't be here or whatever. I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm just telling you what the word says. I'm telling you what's true, and I'm telling you what's worked in our life. My single biggest regret when we were in Colorado, single biggest regret, well, not really my single, one of my biggest regrets. Let me put it that way. We were going to this church, we we're going to Lost and Purdue's church, Karis Christian Center, when we were in Colorado, we were going to Bible school. I, didn't, I, was, I was dumb as a box of rocks. I didn't get it. We were going to Bible school that the leader of the school said, go to a local church, plant yourself there, be a part of that church, aside from Bible school, because a Bible school and a church are not necessarily the same thing, and they necessarily aren't the same thing. My biggest regret is I didn't go and serve that pastor with everything that I could have served him with, because if I had, I would have grown way beyond just what i was getting in bible college why because there's an anointing that flows from the top down if you don't believe that i'm anointed to lead this congregation you shouldn't be here you have my full permission to leave if you don't think oh thank you sir i'll sit no i'm just kidding all those in the front are like who's leaving nobody's leaving i'm kidding but seriously, if you really don't think that I'm called, anointed, appointed of God to be here and to lead, you should not You should never sit under somebody that's not called of God. You should never do that. But if I am, and I am, and if Liz and I are called here to lead this thing, you should come underneath of the leadership that we have so we can control every part of your life. <coughs> no, so you can grow. Because, you know, there's a difference between, you know, some people... And there's levels of this, I'll say this, that some people are in and out, up and down, in and out, up and down, in and out, up and down. But then some people come, but it's kind of like, what's going to happen? Okay, listen, after f- five years of being here or whatever, jump in, be a part, serve, help, give. You say, well, you just, you're just trying to get people to work to accomplish your vision. Yes! Because <laughs> my vision is God's vision, and it's a big vision, I need help. You know what? I want to make the live streaming stuff like five times what it is, but I don't have enough help. Just being honest with you, I don't have enough help. We actually, we got the money we got in all of our accounts right now. (laughs) Yeah, we got like $250,000 in all of our accounts combined. It is a miracle. It's awesome. Yeah, come on. Give the Lord a shout. we got we're ready to do something when the building thing finally works out everything that the lord wants to do we can pounce on it we can do it it's going to be amazing i'm so thankful for what god's done and is doing it's just oh it's awesome but listen jump in and be a part what have you got to lose let me give you a couple reasons very quickly and then we're going to quit I'm going to give you two simple basic reasons. Oh, this is heavy revvy for the end, but I got to get back to ministering on healing and so the Lord just put all this on me and said go for it and I said yes sir. Yes sir, I'll do it. Here, let me give you two reasons why people don't plant. And again, planting can mean cuz some people they know they're not planted because they they don't they just don't they're not a part of anything. They don't consistently go that they're, they're up, they're up. And a lot of times you'll see this with, oh, Jesus. <laughs> out Outhouse prophets, what I call them. They come and they leave a stench. And it's like they come and they're like, oh, I have a word for this church. And we've had, to listen, we've had people come in and they will give a word and it's a divine thing and it's awesome. And it's a blessing. I'm not criticizing anyone, but I can usually tell it's like they, they've they got something that you need to hear, Pastor Kent. And it's like, boom, they're gone. There's no covenant. There's no relationship. There's no There's no back and forth. There's no, how can we help you? How can we serve you? That heart's not even there. And so a lot of times, you know, we'll see that but here's a couple of reasons why people don't plan. Number one, I'm gonna give the more difficult one first because the second one is a little less of a heavy revy. The first one is just flat out rebellion. People are just rebellious and they won't submit to any kind of authority. You're like, well, submission, that's a cuss word. How dare? you know what? The great listen, let me tell you something. This is a God's. I can't do it because it's a new covenant. I was gonna say, God, if I'm lying, strike me dead, but he won't do that under the new covenant the single greatest measure of what's caused me to grow in my life is submitting, coming under somebody else's mission. But it requires humility. It requires sacrifice. It requires cutting away of everything you want. But when you do that, then God can trust you with more. But it's when people are like, I just can't do that. And the Lord's like, oh, God, I have so much for you. If you would just lower your pride and your rebellion down and submit to a man or woman of God, and watch what I will do in your life. But God, if God can't, if God can't trust you with that much, He won't trust you with the more. If you are not faithful in what is another man's vision, who will give you what is your own? God needs to give us what belongs to us, but He will not do it when we don't. Won't come to a place of submitting. Now, let me ask: um, Out of all the people that you would say, could I ask this? That you have a submitted heart to this church. Uh, No, I'm not going to ask that. Yeah, I'll ask it. Uh, Who in here would like to say that I'm abusive and controlling and manipulative in your life? Anybody want to say that? Like you really would say it, but who in here would say that you've come underneath of the leadership of this church and you have been uber blessed by doing it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So oftentimes people, they won't come under because there's some rebellion in their heart and coming under isn't necessarily like just I'm coming to this church but there's sometimes people will come in and they'll sit and it's like 1 foot in and 1 foot out and they won't really come under the vision of the house and so they don't benefit it's it's like they're uprooted in their heart and they're not they're not really established in the house of the Lord and with the leadership that's there and so they really don't draw the benefits from what that thing has to offer is this too is this okay Saying it anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm just trying to give some love while I'm doing it. Let me give you the second reason. Here's the second reason why people don't plant because it's, it's because of self preservation. Self preservation. They feel the need to preserve themselves, and it's because they've been hurt, they've been wounded. And listen, man, I've I've been in around enough. I've seen a lot lot of abuses come from leadership, plenty. And I get why people are often like at arm's length. I get it, I understand, but you can't stay in that place of being hurt. Otherwise, you'll never reap all the things that God has for you. The church is God's plan. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say, I'll build my parachurch ministry. He didn't even say, I'll build my family, although I believe in families very strongly. He didn't even say, I'll I'll build marriages, although I believe in strong marriages very strongly. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is God's plan, but we have to really come to a place to where we invest ourselves, our life into it. We plant ourselves there. Self-preservation is the reason, one of the reasons why people often don't do it. And when people try to preserve themselves because of different things that have happened or their mentality or whatever, and look, we've been there. We, we get it. There's often a fear that comes in, a fear of rejection, a fear of confrontation, a fear of exposure of their own humanity and faults. And people often are also afraid of a long-term commitment. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not afraid of a long-term commitment. When he took you in, he wasn't afraid of it being a lifelong thing. You say, well, I'm that way with Jesus, but I'll never be that way with a man. We're going to be together in heaven forever. Sorry if you don't like me. God's going to put my mansion right next to yours. I'm going to come out and be like, hello. My dog is going to poop on your front yard. You got to have a little fun, yeah? God might even have you, like, come over and mop my floor and, you know, I don't, I don't know. No, not really. Too far, okay, too far. But we're going to be with each other forever. We're already in a covenant with each other. We just need to start acting like it you'd be like, well, if I make a commitment, what are you going to do to me? Oh, there's a hazing that goes on. You don't even know. I mean, you think 101 and 201 is about an introduction and getting involved in our church? It's a secret society. We put the cult and culture Local pastor finally admits he's a cult leader. (laughs) Not going to do anything other than say, I'm so glad you're on board with what we're doing. I will train you and I will equip you. I will love you. I will prophesy over you. I will help you. I will bring healing to you. I will counsel you. I will bless you. I have an anointing on me as a father in the faith to bless people. But I can't bless people that won't receive it. And I'm not saying if you're not on a serve team that I won't bless you. Man, I'll pray for you no matter what. But when you come in and say, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. When you do that, there's an automatic favor that flows. I, I have to sometimes pinch myself and go, God, you've asked me to do something that I have zero ability in and of myself to do. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I put my spirit in you, Kent. You don't have any ability. And it's like, okay, well, why'd you ask me to do it? Because you were just willing. You were willing. I called you, and then you said yes. And I was like, okay, well, here I am, Lord. And God assigns and sets people and anoints people and puts them in places to bless other people. He's the one that set the fivefold ministry in order. Not me. Oh, man. This is good. This is really good. The message I always wanted to preach, but finally was able to get it out right. Thank you, Jesus. Man. Thank you, Lord. So, we'll just be done with that. But we'll press forward. We'll press forward together. We'll serve one another. We'll serve the church. And I know some of you could be like, I'm just, well, he's pointing at me because I, no, I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm just telling you like it is. I've seen the growth that happens with people that say, Sir, I'm here. How can I help? I've seen it. I can't, I can't deny it. There's something about coming and being underneath of what God's doing. And being under isn't a pounding down, but it's coming under so you can be lifted up. I will train you and equip you, but I will not grip you. Ron came into my office one day, and I'll finish with this. He said, I, and I, I always believe what he tells me, but if he has tears in his eyes, I won't even question it. I'll be like, all right, the Spirit of God's all over him. And he said, listen, the Lord says, train and equip, but don't grip. So I wrote it up. I wrote it on a sticky note and I posted it in my office. Train and equip, don't grip. You're not mine. You're the Lord's. I'm just a steward of you. So if you allow yourself to come underneath of the leadership, you will flourish. And if you don't, you can have a full refund. It's no problem. I can't believe that I said my dog's going to poop in your yard in heaven. (laughs) That's pretty good for me because then I don't have to clean it up. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociparibill.com.